Thank you for listening to sermons by Chaplain Braswell. This ministry desires to help people know and live for Christ through the preaching of God's Word. And now, today's message. Well, good morning. We're so glad that you're here to worship our risen Savior this morning. Traditionally, churches all over the world will say the phrase, He is risen, and then you will say, He is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen. Amen. My name is Dan Braswell. I'm the senior pastor here at Schofield Community Chapel. We are so glad that you chose to worship with us this morning to worship our risen Savior. If you have a Bible, I hope that you do. I invite you to turn to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. You can probably guess what I'm going to preach on on Easter Sunday. We're going to preach on the resurrection. I remember one time when I was in the civilian pastorate, that's what I did before I came into the army. I remember a story about a man who he was complaining about his church. And he said, I've been coming to this church for 10 years. And every time I come to church, all they ever preach about is the resurrection. He was complaining, you know. And finally, somebody with a little boldness, I suppose, told him, well, well, good night, Jim. You only come to church on Easter Sunday. What would you think they were going to preach on? Well, I'm so glad that we're here because one of the things I love about Easter Sunday is it is a reminder that Jesus is alive. But on the other hand, when we walk out these doors and we continue with our lives, do you know what? He's still alive. It changes not the week after Easter. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, forever. He lived, he died, he was buried, and three days later, he rose again. For the past several weeks at Schofield Community Chapel, and by the way, if this is your first time, there's a lot of people here. I, I, don't, I don't think I, I, I would know your name, but I'm so glad that you're here. Uh, for those of you who have been here, and, and even those who are not, give you a little back, backdrop on what we've been doing in our chapel services. We've been preaching through the Gospel of John, specifically in the I Am statements. And we have gone through the whole book of John. We've looked at I am the door. We've looked at that great John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. There's another place where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. There's another place where Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Here we have another resurrection. The first one mentioned in John is when he raised Lazarus from the dead. Now we're at Christ's resurrection and we have Jesus healing a blind man and then appropriately saying, I am the light of the world. Last week we looked at a story where Jesus reminded the Pharisees that before Abraham was, I am. Today we're going to look at John chapter 20. This is the ending of, of that gospel and it does culminate, as all the gospels do, with the resurrection. I want to share with you in John chapter 20 two verses, and then we'll go back and look at a couple of other verses. But I want to show you something. When John wrote his gospel, he had it with a purpose in mind. If you look at John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, look at how John summarizes his book. He says, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. 
He says, but these, that is what he's written, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John's purpose in writing is so that the reader, so that we will believe in Jesus Christ. I hope and pray today as we look at the resurrection that we believe in the name of Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, and by believing we have life in his name. Our main passage we're going to look at is in John chapter 20. Earlier in our service, we read the story of the resurrection, and now we're going to begin in verse 19 in John chapter 20. This is, by the way, the same day of the resurrection. Jesus rose on a Sunday morning, and this is that afternoon, it's that evening. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and he stood among them and he said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad, some translations say rejoiced, when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. What I hope we look at today, as we look at the disciples behind locked doors, as we look at this fear, as we look at this, it, folks, it's a grave, it's a death. There was almost a stench of hopelessness around this entire story. As we look at all the, the despair, I hope we can see some lessons of the resurrection. And that's what we want to look at today. We're going to share three lessons from the resurrection. Point number one is this. The resurrection took place in history and that changes everything. And that changes everything. Earlier in John chapter 20, it says this in verse 8. It says they did not yet understand the scriptures that he must rise from the dead. I want to remind you that as you read through the four Gospels, at least three times Jesus told his disciples, very specifically, the Son of Man is going to be handed over to the hands of lawless men. He's going to be killed and he's going to be buried, and three days later, he's going to rise again. The disciples were not doing anything particularly religious when the resurrection took place. They were in their homes behind locked doors. The resurrection took place in history, and that changes everything. What do we mean by that? What we mean is that the Gospels and the rest of Scripture record that Jesus literally physically did rise from the dead. It is a game changer. When you are faced with the resurrected Christ, you have to do something with that. I was looking through that great theological treatise known as Facebook this week because I was wondering what's, the, what's going on out there? What are people saying about the resurrection? And I came across a couple of statements that I think the Bible would contend with. One of them was something the effect of it doesn't really matter if, if Jesus rose from the dead. Just let Jesus rise in your heart. 
I don't even know what that means. But I do know that's not what the Bible said. It doesn't matter if, if Jesus rose from the dead or not, because I saw another one that said, coincidentally, there's three major religion holidays that happen to fall under the same thing this year, and the person's point was, see there, it's all the same. No, Jesus physically, bodily rose from the dead. And folks, that is a game changer. If he rose from the dead, we have to accept all of what he said. If he did not rise from the dead, why worry about anything that he said? I was reading about Easter. Did you know that 12 billion jelly beans will be consumed by Americans during Easter? Fun fact for you, 12 billion. If you were to wrap them around the earth, they would go around three times. I didn't demonstrate that myself. I'm just taking, you know, Facebook's word for it. But apparently you can do that. I think about that and I think about what our world does with Easter and I think about what our world does with Christmas. We, we, try, to, we try to tame it. We try to domesticate it. Al Mohler said this. He said the secular world will attempt to domesticate and commercialize and tame the baby in the manger. But it will run at breakneck speed from the cross and from the empty tomb. Sometimes we think about Christmas, it's easy for our world just to, oh, it's a baby, babies are cute. we got a room full of babies. There, every one of them is cute. I'll, I'll, I'm so glad you're all here. But you can't, cool story, bro, the resurrection. If Jesus did rise from the dead, it changes everything. Hold your place in John chapter 20. I want to show you something in 1 Corinthians 15. Turn to 1 Corinthians 15. And we'll come back to John chapter 20 in just a minute. By the way, on your own, I encourage you to read 1 Corinthians 15. Paul has a lot to say about the resurrection and its importance. But go down just a little bit in verse 12 in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul said this. If it's preached that Christ has been raised from the dead... How can some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead? In other words, Paul's making the point because Christ was raised, Christians who know the Lord will be raised as well. He says if there's no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But if he did not raise him, if in fact the dead are not raised, if the dead are not raised, Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you still are in your sins. The resurrection is an event that took place in history and that changes everything. You can turn back to John chapter 20. If you want to jot a couple of more verses down, I'll share these with you. You don't have to turn there. But 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3, Peter says we have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Ephesians chapter 2 talks about the fact that you and I are dead in our sins. What that means is that every single human being, all I heard, there's 300 plus people uh, here today. If, if I do preacher numbers by tomorrow, it'll be 500 people were here, 1,000 people were here. We're so glad all of you are here. But every one of us in this room, the Bible says without Christ we're dead in sin. We have fallen short of God's glory. We have sinned against God. Paul says we're dead in our sin in Ephesians 2, but then he says that God raised us up. That would not be possible without the resurrection. 
we know that we'll rise again ourselves because of the resurrection, as we just read in 1 Corinthians 15. Also, you don't have to turn there, but 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 says, God will raise us up by his power. This is important because everything hinges on it. Folks, Christianity cannot be any of this silly, um, non-tangible, well, just, just, just feel Jesus in your heart. Just, just know, no. I want you to feel Jesus in your heart, but I want you to understand our relationship with God is made possible because Jesus Christ really did rise from the dead. Anybody who tries to preach a Christianity that says it's not important if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, folks, that's not biblical Christianity. Jesus rose from the dead, and that makes all the difference. It all ties back to the empty tomb. I'll even say this, and we'll go on to point number two. When confronted with the empty tomb, it's like I said earlier, you can't just say, oh, that's a cool story, bro. You, you, you cannot logically go, God the Son lived a sinless life, died on the cross to save me from my sins. Oh, and by the way, he bodily rose again. You can't just go, oh, that's cool. Like you can go, oh, 12 billion Easter jelly beans. That's cool. That's a cool story, bro. You can't cool story, bro, the resurrection. It, it screams at us and it demands us to do something. Because if he rose from the dead and is still alive, he's still there and we have to make a decision. We have to see what are we going to do with this risen Christ. Now point number two. The resurrected Christ, he brings peace and he brings joy to people in hiding and people in fear. Look again in John chapter 20. Look at what it says in verse number 19. What happened? Remember, this is the evening that he rose from the dead. The doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. They were fearful. What, what, was, the, what was driving the fear? I, I, don't, I don't know. Maybe fear of, fear of getting in trouble. Definitely all the wind was knocked out of their sails because they did, do not look like folks who were getting ready for a resurrection. You read in Luke that a couple of the disciples were walking on a road. Remember the road to Emmaus and Jesus was talking to them. They didn't even recognize him at first. You see in this one, they're, they're, they're hiding. We do see that the, the, the women and Mary and Peter and John in chapter 20 are going to the tomb, but they weren't going to a, a resurrection. They were going to a, to a tomb to, to embalm him. It's interesting. You read the stories of the resurrection. It's startling that without exception, the disciples are doing nothing especially religious when Jesus appears to them. They're not praying. They're not worshiping. They're walking on the road, and now suddenly, late in the day, behind a door that is locked against the outside world and among hearts and minds locked up by fear and sorrow, he appears. No one heard any creaking hinges. There was no sign of footsteps. I, as I was studying, it, uh, many scholars, most, and I, I tend to believe, too, that this is a miraculous entering into the room. I think a God who can raise Jesus from the dead, I think the risen Christ also has no problem entering into a room. Even though later on we found out that he was physically risen because he ate food and, and people touched him. But that's God. That's the power of God. I can't help but think, we don't have to turn there, but Romans chapter 8, verse 1, as Jesus told them, peace be with you, 
Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 8, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. As all the disciples but, but one, John, scattered, and Jesus appears to them in this room, it's interesting, he doesn't come in there. If it was me, I would have told Peter, I told you so. I'd have told all of them, I told you I was going to be back. You don't see any of that. You just see offering peace. You see encouragement. And you see love. He's, it says in that passage, He showed them His hands and His side. When He showed them His hands and His side, it shows them the wounds that He suffered for them. The chains that had been broken, the barrier that had been breached. Are you locked up this morning? Are you in a place where, for fear of, fill in the blank. Being locked up, being, being sad, having dread. It says in this passage that Jesus said peace to them, but then it says the disciples were glad when they saw him. Fear is an emotion that we all can identify with. We can even put that emotion to music sometimes, that idea of despair. If I were to, where's Micah, our, our keyboardist? Correct me if I'm wrong, Mike. I think I got this right. But if I go to that keyboard and I play a C and an E and a G, I get a C chord. If you were to play it, it sounds very bright, very happy. And that's, that's where I like to be. But if you're like me, sometimes our lives aren't like that. Sometimes our lives are ominous. They're, they're a minor chord. All you have to do to change that to a minor chord is take that E and slide it down to an E-flat. It doesn't sound bright and cheerful, does it? It sounds ominous. It sounds like, am I watching a horror movie? It's, oh, let's walk into this room full of chainsaws. Something bad's going to happen, you know. And then that ominous chord comes, right? That's where these disciples were, except it wasn't, oh, cool, this is a movie. It's going to be over in an hour. It's, my life is in shambles. My life is one long, drawn-out minor chord that doesn't seem to ever want to resolve itself. The most depressing, dolorous, and fearful sound you'll ever hear. That's where the disciples were before Jesus came in and brought peace and he brought joy in a time of despair. Where are you this morning? Are you locked up? If you're like me, you got all kinds of keys because we lock things up, right? We, we keep things locked up. Sometimes that's to keep other folks out, but sometimes we lock up because have you ever ignored a problem and it gets better with time, right? What's, this, what's the phrase? Go ahead and tell the commander because bad news doesn't what? It doesn't get better with time. Tell them now. Are we locked up in despair? Well, guess what? Jesus can bring hope. Jesus can bring peace to that minor chord, to that world of tumult. Point number three is this. Jesus, he empowers us to share his message. The last lesson is Jesus empowers us to, to share his message. The resurrected Christ calls you and he calls me to be a part of what he's doing in the world. I want you to look at this one more time. Go back to John chapter 20 and look at verses 21 to 23 at what it says. Jesus said to them again, 
Peace be with you. As the Father, watch this, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. By the way, this resurrection story is something to which we must respond. Jesus didn't just show up and say, ta-da, I'm alive, and everybody clapped and he went home. No, he says, even as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. It's the same message he's been preaching throughout the Gospels. And he says in verse 22, And when he had said this, he breathed on them, and he said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. He wants them, he wants his disciples to be a part of what he's doing in the world. Next week we're going to start a sermon series called Connecting with the Sinner. And we're going to look at a sermon that talks about evangelism. And then we're going to look at the book of Jonah. How Jonah was a prophet who preached in Nineveh. I want to challenge you. Who are those people in your life that you need to connect to the Savior? Do you as a Christian have someone that you know and you love? Maybe someone that you work with that you need to help connect to the Savior? That's what we're going to be talking about in the next several weeks. God calls us to be a part of what he, he has done through his death and his burial and his resurrection. I want to show you one more passage of scripture, and I want you to turn to Romans chapter 5. If you have a, if you have a Bible or, a, or on your digital device, turn to Romans chapter 5. I want to show you something at the, at the, uh, at the last part here. He said this, Excuse me, we'll go back to Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Therefore, since we've been justified by his blood, much more will be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now we are reconciled. We shall be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. God calls you and he calls me to be reconciled to him, first of all, through our faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible says that whoever believes in him, that is, we come to a point where we recognize we are sinners and we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. We won't perish but have eternal life. But then he calls us to be part of his work in reconciling others to him. You can turn back to John chapter 20. And I want to share one more scripture with you. This one you don't have to turn to, but 1 John, which is also written by the Apostle John 2, 2, he says he's the atoning sacrifice or the, or the propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours, but the sins of the whole world. When Jesus tells his disciples, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you, he tells them to receive the Holy Spirit. That's a precursor to what we're going to see in the book of Acts. We learn through the rest of the New Testament that every single person who has trusted Christ as Savior, we have received what? The Holy Spirit who empowers us to be a part of what he's doing in the world. He wants us to be anchored to the Lord. We probably have some rock climbers in this, in this audience, I could imagine. If we, we have some people who know about rock climbing, that idea of being tethered to one another. If, if there's a team of climbers, you, they'll all be tethered. They'll be cooked together on a rock. But one of them will be securely fastened or anchored into that rock 
with that device that holds them in place so that that way, let's say the whole thing goes downhill and everybody loses and slips and falls and it starts this, this chain reaction of, of a significant emotional event, what happens? That one person who's tethered, it holds on to the rest of them because they're anchored in that rock. You and I, as we live our Christian life, what we desperately need is to hear from the Lord, but also we need each other. We, we need to know that we're a body of believers connected through Jesus Christ as God calls us to reach out to the world. I think I told you about the jelly beans. We eat 16 billion a year. In 2022, here's some more fun facts for you, some more Easter fun facts. In 2022, the United States is going to spend 20.8 billion dollars on Easter. I don't know who these people are, but I don't feel like I'm really helping that cause. I don't. It's, it's a, it comes out to about 170 dollars a person. I don't. I don't know. I don't spend that much. Three billion dollars of that's on Easter candy. Here's a weird fact. 78% of people, when they eat the chocolate bunnies, they eat the ears first. So think about that as you eat your chocolate bunnies. And 91 million chocolate bunnies are sold in the U.S. each year. By the way, those jelly beans were introduced to America in 1930, and since then, obviously, we have consumed billions of them. 60% of parents plan on sending Easter baskets to their children after they've moved out. I'm definitely part of the 40%. I don't, I haven't sent, have we sent any Easter baskets to our grown? I didn't think so. We haven't, but you do what you want to do. Send them if you want. I am in this category though. 80% of parents steal candy from their kids' baskets. <laughs> 5.5 million peeps are produced each day and 1.5 billion are consumed each Easter. Again, I'll crush the chocolate bunnies, but if you're waiting on me to eat peeps, you're waiting a long time. Now, why do I share all that? Because obviously it's important to our culture, these concepts. But I want to submit to you that all those things I just said, you know what they are? Cool story, bro. Fun facts. Nothing earth shattering about those things. But what about these facts? Jesus is alive. 100% of the time. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection pays for the sin debt of all who believes. And by the way, he pays for all my sin. 100%. Not 60%, not 80%. 100%. More than just, uh, that's cool. It's a game changer, isn't it? 100% of people must do something with the resurrected Jesus. You cannot look at Jesus and the resurrection and go, meh, okay. He screams at us. He calls us to do something. As C.S. Lewis said, we can't simply be ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. He said a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said wouldn't be a great moral teacher. He'd be a lunatic. Or else he'd be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. 
Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God, but let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about him just simply being a human teacher. He didn't leave that open to us. He didn't intend to. Jesus brings joy and peace to those in sorrow and fear. And every person in this world, every person who lives on Schofield Barracks, everybody on this island, everybody you know and love from wherever, 20 million different places we're all from, 100% of them need the saving power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and need to experience His power and be a part of sharing His message with the world. Will you join the Lord Jesus Christ in worshiping Him today and is what we're going to do in just a moment as we sing one more song, you guessed it, about the resurrection. I hope and pray that we go out these doors and we say, God, thank you for your salvation and your resurrection. I hope we as our families can say, God, I want to be a part of what you're doing in the world. I want to share this message of the resurrection that makes all the difference. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I, I pray that you would impress on our hearts the reality of the resurrection. God, I pray for our people here. I pray for those who may be here and never experienced forgiveness of sins through faith in Jesus Christ. I pray that today you would call them and you would draw them and, and they would call on you like Romans chapter 10 says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God, I pray for your people today. I pray that as we ponder the resurrection today, may it stir in us a calling, a yearning to receive your Holy Spirit, to be empowered by your Holy Spirit, and God, to be a part of sharing this message of forgiveness of sins that comes through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. God, I pray now for those who we may have on our heart who are lost, I pray that you would draw them to yourself, and I pray that you would use us to help point them to you. God, we worship you today, the one who is alive, knowing that makes all the difference. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.